and welcome back to another episode uh, of There's Danger Hair. I'm Leilani. And I'm Sam. And today we are talking about um, Chad Daybell. I figure if we're going to give Lori, like if we're going to talk about her, we should really talk about him as well. I feel like he's also a character that really gets underplayed in how he's been crazy uh, his whole life as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to put I want to put him on the map. I want people to realize that it wasn't just Lori. Like she, Chad definitely plays into this story. Oh, yeah. I mean, she started to go like a little insane the moment she started. I mean, always, but always. like that book, whatever book he writes, that yeah. played a large influence into who she becomes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Chad Guy Daybell was born on August 11, 1968, to parents Sheila and Jack Daybell. He was the oldest of four. He alleges to come from a prominent LDS community dating back generations, but he's also a tall tale kind of guy. Mm-hmm. According to his stories, he was he had his first encounter with death when one of his classmates was killed in a cave collapse. He was told that his classmate was in heaven, but at the time didn't understand what that meant. Chad played t-ball throughout his youth and became a boy scout. He reports that when he was 13, he was walking from home, home from school when he saw honeybees and he began smashing them. Oh. Yeah. He alleges that he killed over 120. And when he got ready to kill another one, he heard a loud voice telling him to stop killing the bees. But when he looked around, he didn't see anyone there. He believed that an angel was talking to him in that moment. Alleging also that he had a spiritual awakening in the ninth grade after reading the Book of Mormon. That the spirit rushed into his room and he cried. After which he received his patriarchal blessing, saying, quote, It spoke of marrying a wonderful woman and raising a strong family. It also mentioned spiritual gifts that would be known be made known to me later in life that I would cultivate to bless the lives of others, end quote, which he does not bless the life of others. He definitely does not. And that's quite the message to receive. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. A spirit rush. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All the while, Chad remained a straight A student and played basketball and football. So he has definitely got this like dual personality it feels like we're school he's doing really well and then at home he's like yep i'm just this spiritual person yeah they are talking to me i mean he probably credits all of his other success to the spirit as well sure he i mean maybe not in sports but everything else later in life yeah yeah like in like in his mind yeah yeah (laughs) probably Just before his senior year, he began working with the Springfield City Parks Parks Department as a grave digger. Oh. So. um, Oh, who let a child do that? Yeah. So we'll talk about it uh, in the Lori Vallow episode. I think the part that we talk about comes after Chad. Um, But they believe that he's the one that dug the graves for the children. And they think that because they were done very efficiently and he has like years you'll hear you'll hear he has years of experience working in graves so during a day trip to the flaming gorge reservoir located in northern utah the teenagers that all went were jumping off cliffs into the water below when chad was dared to jump off one that was about 60 feet in the air 
Oh, that's substantial. It is. Yeah. And if you don't fall right, it's like landing on concrete. Yeah. Like, you have to know how to dive at that height. Uh, He jumped, and he reports that when he hit the water, he felt a sharp shock reverberate through his body, and he heard an audible pop at the base of his skull. He said that he remembered his spirit coming partway out of his body, but that it felt like his spirit's knees got stuck in his skull, and that's why he didn't make it all the way out. Oh, which is the weirdest. That's such a wild description. It is. It's pretty, like, well, like, it's a great description, though. It's pretty well thought. Like, he's like, I only didn't die because my knees got stuck in my skull. Yeah, like, like I can what? I can envision that. I can feel it almost, like, from, like, when you jump into the water. Yeah. Like, how, like, if your spirit was getting lifted, like, how they could get stuck. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Great description, actually. He goes into more detail, reporting that on this trip to the other side of the veil, he says endless... He sees endless white planes in all directions, and he heard a deep, rich melody, and that all his pain disappeared. Then his body floated towards the surface, and his spirit re-entered through his head, and one of his friends brought him back to safety. So basically, he passed out. When he woke up, somebody was dragging him out of the water. Can I tell you a quick side story? Yes. Super fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... I, when I was like a high schooler, about 18, like I was senior year, went to go visit my brothers at University of Idaho. Mm -hmm. Um, They were both playing football there and they both had like practice, I think, or something going on that day. So they had me hang out with their friends Mm -hmm. and we went to this lake that had like cliffs that you would jump off of. And I had been a lifeguard at the time. So I had been doing like diving board tricks and was like pretty like confident around the water. Sure. So we get to the cliff. It's probably like 30 feet. Maybe I might be exaggerating that a tiny bit, but it was right around there. And I'd done lots of like cliff jumping before, but I was trying to show off. So I went running like from the cliff and I was going to do a flip off Mm -hmm. of it. And I like went to go jump at the end of it, thinking it was going to like spring like a diving board (laughs) and it didn't. And I went head first down the edge of the rock I like split my stomach open like (laughs) I probably had my spirit come out of my body in that moment too because I came up above the water and there was like already like 15 college kids like surrounding me like prepared to grab my dead body out of the water like freaking out oh no it was mortifying I didn't want to get out of the water so I just like stayed in it as like blood started to like come up around my body and my brother's friends were like so freaked out to tell them what, <laughs> what <laughs> no. happened. Ultimately, all is well, and I was fine, obviously. But your spirit returned to your mind. My spirit, yeah. <laughs> oh no. Uh, well, Chad tells people people later that this ripped open his personal veil and it never fully healed. Mm. So maybe yours just healed. That's why you don't hear the voice. Or maybe it never healed. <laughs> That would explain a lot of stuff, too. Oh, in May of 1986, he graduated high school. And because of his straight, he was a straight A student. He received a two year scholarship to Birmingham Young University. During these years, he stayed home and commuted to and from schools, continuing to spend summers as a grave digger. Grave digger. God. After this, um. He moved to Morristown, New Jersey to complete his missionary work. He continued to grow support of his friends while on his mission. 
And it is also at this time in his life that he claims that he could see angels and spirits having the ability to see light and dark spirits. Oh, and he it's too early, man. Yeah. He also sensed the spirit of his grandfather, Keith Daybell. And upon first, quote, meeting him, end quote, he knew that he would be his main spirit guide. Hmm. Which, if that's the case, what the fuck, Keith? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we having him murder people? By the summer of 1989, Chad had finished his mission trip and returned to BYU. It was at this time he reports going through his brother's yearbook from the previous year when he saw a woman named Tammy Douglas. He thought she was beautiful and later in LDS Springfield Singles Ward event, he asked her out. At the time, she worked as Springfield's cemetery secretary. And while they were dating, she helped him get a job as a part-time grade grave digger there he's just continuing that's so like it's so strange that that is like his go-to job i know i know it is kind of odd it's like an odd fascination with death from a very young age yeah Uh, after dating for a while chad quote prayed to the heavenly father end quote to determine if he should marry tammy and received a resounding yes that thanksgiving he proposed on March 9th, 1990, the two were wed at the, I think it's Manti, it's M-A-N-T-I, Manti LDS Temple. Chad continued his studies at BYU, writing freelance articles for the Springfield Herald in his final year. After completing his studies, he graduated with a bachelor's in communications. In May of 1992, Chad and Tammy's first son, Garth, was born. Garth. I know, it's such a cute name. It is a cute name. I like that name. By the summer, the family moved to Ogden, where Chad began working at the Ogden Standard Examiner, while Tammy began working as the local librarian. So they could have been the cutest couple. That's, a, like, adorable. That's a great story. Let's end it there. Yeah. Like, I, perfect. What a love. And then they become active in the community and... Retire, and that's it. Uh, beautiful. See? Would be great. The next year, in May of 1993, the family went to San Diego going to... Um, La Jolla Cave, I, Cove, I think, when Chad had his second near-death experience. Oh. Chad says he went out into the water to look for seashells when he heard a loud voice commanding him to cling to the rocks, followed by a huge wave crashing into him, and it caused him to get, um, it says, sucked into another world. According to Chad, he was completely out of his body and standing in front of his grandfather, talking about his wife and children. Keith instructed Chad on all his tasks he needed to do to accomplish his mission, and after agreeing, Chad was then returned to his body. This ripped open his personal veil even more. Oh, he's quite the storyteller. He is. I have a hard time believing that's like, I I don't know, just in general that he's having these near-death experiences. Well, he's only got the two. I know. I mean, at least he doesn't keep going where he's like, and then the next month. Like, I did it again. Yeah. You're like, dude, are you fucking kidding me? That Stay away true. from water then. Yeah. I mean, I it is, belie- too, I guess, is believable. Totally. But it just, to me, is like, they're too poetic. Yeah. 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 And he had to agree to everything. And then he just got returned to his yeah. body. You're like, this sounds like a lot of satanic stuff. Yeah. Not necessarily something like, isn't it in the Bible? I, I don't know if it's in the Book of Mormon, but where Satan, like, makes deals, it's not. God and Jesus that do like 
This feels like you're going the wrong way, buddy. Yeah. Maybe you don't know what light and dark spirits are. Yeah, you've not. You've been deceived. Right? In March of 1994, the family welcomed a girl, Emma. Then 18 months later, another boy, Seth. The following year, Chad quit his copy editing job and the family moved back to Springfield into a double-wide trailer. Chad began working as the head of the city's two cemeteries and Tammy returned as the receptionist. As he worked in the winter of 1997, he heard the voice of his grandfather telling him to become an author. Writing his first book shortly after, and after getting an idea uh, that was, he was offered a book contract through an LDS publisher. So at this time, it sounds like he really didn't like that editing job. Just basically was like, we're going to move and go somewhere else. Like, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Just be a copy editor. Um, And so that's why they went back. But then he just goes because he already knows the cemetery work. He's already done a lot of this. So he just returns to that. She's like, all right, well, let me just continue supporting you as the wife and becomes a receptionist, which could still be wholesome if we left it at this. Right. I I mean, eclectic little group of people right there. But yeah, still could be quite wholesome. Yeah. In late April of 1998, Tammy gave birth to Leah. Chad and Tammy had their final son, Mark, in March of 2000. While his family grew, so too did his novels, turning one book into a trilogy. In 1999, Chad became the regional sales manager for Access Computer Products, a job that came with a dramatic increase in salary. But then just two years later, Chad decided that wasn't for him, and so he took a pay cut to go work for Cedar Fort, the publishing company that released all of his previous books. Mm. And it's not like when he does kind of these moves, Tammy gets kind of upset about a lot of these but again she's just you know faithful wife and it's like all right well i will continue to follow you but there are points through this where a lot of the sources say that tensions kind of rose through it and tammy had to pray about it and she's just there was a lot of her being like are you kidding me right now right we could have had better money for the family especially now they have five children like there's a lot right um but it sounds like he was fairly selfish he was yeah and he stays selfish his whole life He worked as a production manager, bringing in several other clients to publish. Then in March of 2003, one of his books was banned um, from, it's called Deseret Book, one of the main LDS bookstores on the West Coast. Chad claimed that this was censorship on their part, and they had published much racier books. Deseret fired back, stating it was due to the lack of sales from his previous books. Oh. Mm, yeah. Wow. They weren't doing too well. Uh, with that, Chad decided he needed to start his own publishing company, continuing to specialize in LDS material. So he established the Spring Creek Book Company. And for the next three years, Chad and Tammy worked to grow their business. And by all accounts, Chad was a good businessman. They flourished together until 2008 when the company suddenly went out of business, causing the couple to file bankruptcy. Due to this, Chad returned to work as a sexton in Spanish Fork City Cemetery to support the family, all while continuing to write, work on his own writings. Meanwhile, Tammy fell into a depression as a result of this bankruptcy. Like, she's just like, right. we've had all this, we had a good life, you decided to do this, so I was working with you, and then it failed, and now we failed our children. Yeah. Like, that can be a lot to do. Oh, would... And then he's still like, well, I'm going to keep writing. You know, yeah. Like, I know. seriously, man, go work at best buy or wherever like like 
you're qualified. Go get a good job somewhere. Yeah, like you don't need to keep working at cemeteries. Right. Like, not saying that those are bad jobs, but like, right. You have a degree. Maybe use it. I imagine that cemetery workers don't get paid like. No, what they? I didn't look it up. Six figure. Yeah. Salary. I definitely didn't look that up. In spring of 2012, uh, um, Chad told another author that he was getting out of the book business because of the call, because, quote, the call out, end quote, was coming. This is not mainline LDS, but rather a more extreme view in which a prophet summons the faithful to gather before the end of times. So he has started his end of times. Yeah, there it goes. Mm -hmm. And this is in 2012. Chad said that in July, all the righteous would gather for the second coming. But after it failed to happen, his friend basically cut all ties with him, stating, quote, I do not agree with what you are publishing. I know without a shadow of a doubt that you are preach- what you are preaching will not lead to happiness. It will lead to death and sorrow, oh. quote. So friends are already being like, this is dangerous, dude, and it's going down a bad road. Yeah. And I don't want anything more, to do with it. Yeah, more foreshadowing of what's yeah. to come. In August of 2014, Chad said, he once again heard his grandfather tell him he needed to move to Rexburg, Idaho. So two months later, he quit his job and notified his wife that they would be moving to Idaho, an area he considered sacred and would get, be the gathering place for 144000 for the end of times. I really am curious, like, obviously, I mean, I don't want to say obviously, but his grandfather most likely did not come to him and tell him Rexburg sure. and his whatever, like... I'm so curious, like, where Rexburg, like, was seen at some point in his life that then he decided, like, there. I have no idea why Rexburg comes into play, honestly. And I don't. I don't. But that's the place. Rexburg is his place. Um, And obviously, again, Timmy's not super happy about this because we're just uprooting the family again after stabilizing. Go to the middle of nowhere. Yeah, to go to the middle of nowhere and uh, to do what? What are we going to do? Like, you don't have a job set there. You just decided to move. Yeah. Uh, which is, that's can be scary. Oh, it'd be so scary. And with five kids. Let's yeah. keep talking about the fact that there's a lot of oh, children in this. Yeah. When they moved, they found a property on four acres with an apple tree and pond closing on the property on June 8th, 2015. Here he continued promoting his books and extremist views, developing a cult-like following in the area. So maybe that's why he moved, because Idaho... Might have, because there's such a large LDS community, maybe he's more likely to find the extremists, which it seems it worked. Oh, I mean, I do think that the right crowd is probably there. Yeah. So that um, may be why he was yeah, deciding to move, which is a very, unfortunately, smart move on his part to go there and, right. and grow this following of people that are going to you know, treat him like he's the bee's knees. Yeah, I actually... That probably has, he probably had known about through someone who he had gone to church with at some point. Yeah. I know that like Idaho Mormons are usually like the more extremist of them and they get. I don't know anything about it. I can tell you that 100%. Yeah. Yeah, They get like sort of, and and I'm probably not all of them, obviously, but like I know that when you sort of start to have like the idea of multiple wives, like that's not really like, like mainstream, like. Utah Mormon thing any longer like that is not really the church's party line and so 
Yeah. People see, when separate. I think of LDS, I think of Utah, not Idaho. Right. And I think the extremist versions of Mormons that you like, your brain can go to, they, a lot of them move to Idaho. Hmm. Things I don't know. Yeah. On March 22nd, 2017, Chad published his autobiography, dedicating it to his wife. He worked at book signings where he found pretty women to tell them about his extremist views and his end of world speeches, enticing them to join his following. So he specifically targeted people that he thought looked good. Yeah. That summer, he was invited to speak at a new company, Preparing a People, or PAP, Mm. conference, which focused on surviving the end times. It was after this that Chad first told friend Julie Rowe that he kept having visions of Tammy dying in a car accident. Around the same time, Chad found an old gold, like owl necklace on a pew in a tabernacle. He said he thought it was a gift from God since he was obsessed with owls and thought them to have special powers. He would hold up the necklace and use it to determine if people were good or bad Based on how he swung. Oh my god. So he just finds this random pendant. And because he's been obsessed with owls. He's like this is definitely a sign from God. And then he swings it. Like they, right. and like, like how it swings. Is like oh you're good. Oh you're bad. Again yeah. that's like magic. Which yeah. I'm pretty sure the Bible is against. against. Like, yeah. <laughs> well the Book of Mormon. Yeah I, yeah, I would so I have like four copies of the Book of Mormon because they always come to our house. Oh, yes. <laughs> I always accept their like their Bibles and I've read through it and it's very similar to the standard Bible. Not that I've read. I haven't read it cover to cover. Let me make that clear. But it seems like magic probably. Yeah. Although Joseph Smith, the, the guy who finds the things the, in America, yeah, right? That's fairly, that feels fairly magical. But yeah. It's not. It's it's religious. So I guess it was. So it's magical. Well, according to yeah, I guess there's a fine line, right? Yeah, a very yeah, <laughs> like walking so on fine, water. You can almost not see it. Yeah, turning water into wine. Not magic. Not not mad. This owl necklace. Not magic. Not magic. It is religion. But a woman who lives in a shack. And like takes a crystal and sees which way it goes over your like arm. Like we're gonna get back to the witch trials. Yeah, we're going back to witch trials every time we talk about an episode. Yep, witch. You're talking about witches. You're a witch. He is not a witch. He is divine, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So um, he would also use it to determine who was light or dark, just like he would if they were good or bad. Uh, In the fall of 2017, Chad met Melanie Gibb. In Ogden, Utah, where he was speaking at a preparedness camp, the two became friends and planned to meet up five weeks later at another PAP conference in St. George, Utah. This is where he crossed paths with Lori Vallow through Mm. Melanie. All the other information on Chad follows through Lori Vallow's episodes, so I'm not going to say the same thing over and over again. It isn't until they're arrested that things are really different. So we spoke a lot about kind of Lori and had Chad roped in there in yeah. the previous episodes. Um, I do think I'm going to, this is going to come out in between part one and part two as kind of the bonus episode at the end of the month. Um, so if some of it doesn't make sense, wait for part two. That'll come out right after. And it will all make sense in the end. It I will promise. all I make mean, sense. 
in a certain amount of way because yeah. this is all nonsense really like oh yeah <laughs> like and these people are crazy but it will make sense in the sense of my timeline because you know i love me a timeline so once they're in jail again covid delays kind of proceedings for him but this is sort of the following outline of events so far because his case is not closed on june 10th 2020 chad appears through zoom for his first court appointment at which time his bail is set at a million dollars Chad's preliminary hearing occurs on the 3rd and 4th of August in Fremont County. Judge Edens listens to testimony of friends, investigators, and witnesses, concluding there's enough probable cause to move to the district court. So unlike Lori, he... He has the pretrial. Yeah, and he does yeah. all this. Mm -hmm. On the 21st of the month, Chad pleads not guilty to his felony charges. Six days later, defense attorney John Pryor requested the case be dismissed. On September 2nd, prosecutor Rob Wood filed a motion to combine Chad and Lori's cases owing to the efficiency as the same evidence and witnesses will be used. Again, I talked about this before, but it is later decided that the trials will need to be separated. So we move into 2021. On February 4th, Fremont Sheriff's Office announced that the autopsy of Tammy is complete. The details are not released to public, so we don't know the full details mm. at this time. Probably because it's an ongoing case and we right. haven't even hit trial yet, Right, would be my guess. On May 24th, a grand jury indicted both Chad and Lori on new felony charges, including first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. On June 9th, Chad pleaded not guilty to all counts. In response, on August 5th, prosecutors announced their intent to seek the death penalty, reporting, quote, the nature and magnitude of these crimes warrant the possibility of the highest possible punishment, end quote. So his will be a death penalty case. I mean, Lori's was too, but we, right. we know how that goes out. Again, you have to listen to part two, so I won't speak on it. It will be really interesting to compare and contrast how they... How things happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like... I think it's going to be a lot harder to find an impartial jury now, too, that everything's mm -hmm. going Definitely. on. So in December of 2023, defense attorneys requested that the death penalty be taken off the table. In two motions, the defense stated that judge should strike the punishment based on, quote, relative culpability, end quote, and the other as, quote, arbitrary, capricious, and disproportionate in light of striking death in co-defendant's case, end quote. In response, the court put out a memorandum stating, quote, the court finds no basis to strike the death penalty on arguments of relative culpability. The motion is therefore denied, end quote. Good. I, I know. I love the statement. This is like, absolutely not. You're not getting away with this. Yeah. Furthermore, they stated, quote, the state rebutes this argument and again raises the critical fact that Daybell is charged with first degree murder for the death of Tamara, Tammy Daybell a crime punishable by death that Vallow was not charged with, end quote. So they're like, listen, we're yeah. charging also with an additional crime right. that we didn't include in her trial. It is a death penalty case. Right. Like, we have... We, we did this for her, yeah, so. and he's going to get the same. Yeah, because I feel like they're trying to say, like, he didn't actually kill the, you know, JJ entirely, right. so he shouldn't be, you know... It shouldn't be such a severe punishment. You know, all he did was dig the graves or whatever he did. And they're like, absolutely not. 
There's an he also, additional body count he, on he his. He also yeah. killed his wife, yeah. which therefore qualifies to be a death penalty case. Right. Which, 100%, like, he did. Yeah. The fact that, I think we brought it up in the previous, uh, or we'll bring it up, the fact that how her body looks on autopsy, the bruising and stuff, is indicative that he sat on top of her and either strangled her or put a pillow to her face until she asphyxiated. Right. Like, there's bruising to indicate that this is not an accident. Oh, I mean, obviously. <laughs> so Obviously. His, <laughs> so his trial is scheduled for April 1st, 2024, and is slated to run through May 31st, taking place in, I think it's Ada County, as a change of venue motion was granted. Chad mm. currently remains in Fremont County Jail, and prosecutors are pursuing, pursuing again, the death penalty for this case. I wonder if they'll be televised or recorded. I don't know, because they wouldn't let in a lot of media for Lori Vallow's. I don't think it was televised. That's why they had to do, it says it in the book, um, that they wouldn't allow certain things in. So I wonder if this they will might... be a case that they try not to televise it because of the publicity that's already come out against him. Yeah, I mean, I could see how they why they wouldn't want to televise hers, because there was a, like, additional case pending but like his is the last case so maybe yeah. you but i think with the kids actually involved yeah and victims they yeah they wouldn't tell like yeah and the prosecutors say that they're going to lay it out the same way which means um the jury is going to end up seeing the pictures of um the body recoveries right, of jj right. and tylee and i think um at one point i didn't really talk about it but when they laid out some of the pictures were very uh i mean they're very graphic but you can see like jj's hair and oh yeah like poking out of the trash bags and you can see like burnt pieces of tylee and like the oh. skull and stuff and it's all it's a lot and so i think for that fact is the reason that they were like yeah we don't want this televised yeah. because could you imagine putting that just out there well and these kids are both minors which also has their own factors that come into play on what you can release so like whenever i've watched cases on uh, on youtube or whatever <laughs> you dang know. youtube um yeah i literally have served on like 10 juries i feel like at this point in my life because i've watched every court case from front to back um but they don't ever show the images yeah they don't even like it, they just never pan to it they always just show like the witness on the stand yeah. while they're like showing like you can tell the witness is looking at the pictures in front of them on a screen but the pictures are never yeah like I mean, there's always the potential that a cameraman could like slip up. Yeah, mess up and yeah. But I also think the fact that they're minors might have right. more to play I, with it. I think that that will be like the victims are minors, and yeah. so they'll they won't yeah. televise it for that reason. So. We'll see. We'll see in a few months, actually, yeah. what happens. And I will. I definitely want to follow up with an update of what he gets charged oh, with. Definitely. In the yeah. There's yeah. so many things that we have to do updates for. Yeah. I, I mean, we're getting there um ivan Cantu's coming up oh i know i've i'm yeah. like actually looking forward to that one too at the end of this month we'll find out if he gets uh oh i hope if it goes through and he gets executed or if he doesn't and we get another stay we're gonna get another trial now we're gonna have to wait for chad daybell to see what comes of it i know and i mean we're gonna have to wait till like almost the middle of the year probably to get all the information oh, yeah. at least because so, we know how the courts are yeah their mm -hmm. dates are scheduled for them but it might not happen. Yeah. Either. Pending any delays. Sure. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, 
to all those listening, be careful out there. It's a dangerous world we live in.